Now, um, I want to draw your attention to the scripture reading that we're going to consider. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to um, Psalm 27. And we're going to read that entire psalm together. And I want to focus just really on one verse, really kind of almost a second, the, 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 one ha- the second half of a verse that I'm going to point out to you. Um, in, in just a moment. We are continuing our series on spiritual formation, and we have that series, if you recall, every other week, because that's when our care groups meet, and the sermon then with questions that I have devised um, form the basis of our care groups. So, um, we are um, considering this morning what the sermon is entitled, The Incomparable Beauty of God. And a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, you remember that I, I, I made the note that spiritual formation really begins by knowing how to sit at the feet of Jesus, as Mary did, not Martha, but Mary, and just listen to him and learn from him. Now, I want to add uh, another beginner for spiritual formation, that is this, that spiritual formation begins not only by sitting at the feet of Jesus, but uh, by understanding comprehending and experiencing some of the beauty, the beauty of the Lord. Because when we find something beautiful, we find it attractive. And when we find something attractive, we find that we want to absorb it and appreciate it. So we're going to be looking at the beauty of the Lord this morning from Psalm 27. Psalm 27 is a psalm written by the great king and poet David. Let's hear now the word of the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all round me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said... Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord, he will take me in. So teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. 
Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And I want to focus just really um, on one verse, which I'm going to draw your attention to in just a moment. But before I do, I want to draw your attention. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, you can take a look at that. If not, you can look at the screen. Psalm 26. I want to take you to a couple of verses. So we're in Psalm 27, a couple of verses from a psalm before Psalm 27 and after Psalm 27. And the psalm before Psalm 27 is Psalm 26. And there's a reference to the temple, the place of worship. Psalm 26, verse 8. O Lord, love the habitation of your house and the place, he's referring to the house of worship, the place where your glory dwells. Where your glory dwells. So there's a connection between the place of worship and the experience of the glory of God. Now listen to this also from Psalm 29. The last verse of Psalm 29 goes like this. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, what? Glory. Glory. So on two separate occasions, one before and one after Psalm 27, you find a reference or a connection between the place of worship for God's people and the recognition of the glory of the Lord. The word glory from the Hebrew language is the word kavod. Even the word sounds weighty and it actually means weight or heaviness. So when people come into the house of worship, they sense they are in the presence of a glorious weighty God. The God whom we serve is not God light. He carries with him weight and significance. Now, we come to Psalm 27, and there's also a reference to the temple, the place of worship. Psalm 27, verse 4, which is really the focus of what we're looking at this morning. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the glory of the Lord? No. Beauty. The beauty of the Lord. Different word. Kavod in the Hebrew, beauty, noam. I want to experience the noam of the Lord, which, which can also be translated as lovely, pleasant, beautiful. Often do you ever think about God as being beautiful? Kids, you ever think about God's being beautiful? You know? I think a lot of us would say, when I think of God, I think of glory. When I think of God, I think of power. When I think of God, I think of God as the creator of the heavens and the earth. All of that is true. But I would dare say most of us here right now have not thought much about the beauty of God, the attractiveness of God. And yet, it gets at the heart of the Christian faith. A philosopher and theologian who lived a number of years ago named Jonathan Edwards said this, that he said, really the heart of religion is this, that, that we, are, we are so overwhelmed by God that we then naturally recede into the background and, and end up being captivated by God, drawn to Him. 
Let me ask you this morning, are you captivated by God? In particular, are you captivated by the beauty of God? Now, it's kind of, a, it, it's kind of a, what we call a nebulous thing, something that you really can't attach yourself to because then you, you ask the question, what does it mean that God is really beautiful? <laughs> I mean, we'll look at that, okay? Now, let's set the background of this. Did you notice when we were reading Psalm 27, were you, were you noticing some of the words that David was, was using here in this psalm you know, in, as the context for talking about the beauty of God? He talked about foes, he talked about enemies, he talked about adversaries, he talked about those breathing violence against him. It's not a good situation. The fact of the matter is, David is a great king and poet, the greatest king of Israel, arguably. He is one who is in a life and death struggle. But what are the details behind that struggle? I got to tell you, I don't know. See, when, when, sometimes when you, when you read the Psalms, the 150 Psalms and all, and a lot of times... Well, maybe, I don't know why I would say a lot of times. A number of times in the superscription or the title, which is before verse 1, which, by the way, is not an editorial insertion, but it's part of inspired scripture, okay? That, that sometimes it provides a bit of cultural or historical background to the psalm so that when you read about violence or you read about enemies, you go, oh, yeah, I know what he's talking about. But none of that is provided here. If you look at your Bible, you see that verse 1, all it says is, of David. All we know is that David was the author. Okay? So, here's the thing. We, we don't know exactly who the enemies are. All we know is that he's in a life and death struggle. All we know is he doesn't know if he's going to live the next day. All we know is that life is ugly. As life is ugly, what does he want? He wants, he, he wants one thing. He wants to go to the house of worship, he wants to be with the people of God, and he wants to experience some of the beauty of God. One thing have I asked of the Lord, he says, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, so that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, his gaze. Kids, you know what gaze, what gaze means? Right? Gaze isn't a glimpse. Gaze isn't... Um, Gaze isn't uh, just a glance at something. If I, if, I, if I glance, I'll just go like that. Move on. But if I gaze, a lot of times when people think gaze, you think kind of a stare. And the more you stare, the more you make someone feel uncomfortable, right? Nobody likes a preacher staring at them, thinking like, what did I do? All right, so, but he's gazing, he's gazing. Gazing, I'll get at this a little bit later. Gazing takes some time, and he's, gaze, the word gaze really means here to look after with longing. How many of us really long to see something of the beauty of the Lord? I want to see something, I want to, I want to gaze with longing upon him. It's like, it's like if you're married, you know, you remember those days when you were getting to know each other before you married and you wanted to gaze at your, the guys wanted to gaze at their wives or future wives, right? And, um, you know, maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you as wives, you know, you remember some of that. Maybe you could get more of that, right? So, but you just, you think, oh, I remember that and and maybe you didn't think of yourself as so beautiful. Maybe you thought yourself rather average, but your husband found you beautiful. 
And that's part of why he married you, right? So you just, that's with David. He finds, he finds the loveliness of the Lord compelling. He just wants to, he wants to gaze in the place of worship. So, all right. So he, he, he wants to go, he wants in the, in the midst of ugliness of life, he wants to see something of the beauty of the Lord. And, and where, again, where does he go to catch that, that to, to experience the gaze of God's beauty? He doesn't, like, he doesn't go to the mountains. We live in the midst of mountains and forests and trees and stuff. We've got plenty of beauty around us, but that's not where he goes. Obviously because he's living in the Middle East, but he doesn't go into the desert too. And the desert can be, having lived in Phoenix for 12 years, Joy and I know desert. We're not big desert fans, but I will tell you, there are some times when I've gone into the desert as the sun is going down, nobody else is around. Okay, there's no water, but there are some mountains in the background, and there's cacti, and there's sagebrush, and when you get alone in the desert, as the sun is going down, and the air is super dry, and it's rather clear, and it's, there's, there's an experience in the desert that is quite compelling as well. But David doesn't go into his environment, into God's creation to experience beauty. Where does he go? He goes to the place of worship. When you come here on a Sunday morning or a Sunday afternoon, you come here expecting to experience some of the, of, of the beauty of the Lord. And maybe say, serious? <laughs> we worship in a gym, right? I mean, so when I look, I see... <laughs> basketball hoops like how are we going to experience the beauty of the lord here right or maybe maybe as kids you go how am i going to see something how am i going to see if god is beautiful if i can't see him as one kid said years ago he says i want a god with skin on right i want a god i can see but we can't see so kind of weird to talk about the beauty of the lord when you can't see him But here's where, here's where you can start to see some of the beauty of God. Not with the eye, but in here with the heart. As you begin to contemplate some of God's goodness and grace and generosity and, and the self-sacrificial love of Christ. And when you begin to contemplate these things and what they mean for your own life, then all of a sudden you find that some of the beauty of the Lord is beginning to sink in. But David's having a hard time with that because it's a life and death struggle, because life is ugly. Still, still, it's his heart's desire. And, and, and you know, it's very interesting. You think in the psalm, David would, would cry out, Lord, I just want to gaze upon some of your power and some of your might and some of your justice that you may come down on my enemies and vanquish them. He doesn't do that. He says, in the midst of all these trials and ugliness, all I want to see is something of your your, your beauty, Lord. In fact, David is singular in that. He says, just one thing I want, God. I'm not asking for a lot. Just, just one thing I want. I just want to go to the place of worship to be with the people of God so there in that context I may gaze upon your beauty. That I may gaze. And that I may inquire in your temple, he says. Inquire literally means in the Hebrew to, to meditate, to reflect. Now you think about that, you, you, cannot, you cannot come to grips and you cannot experience the beauty of the Lord without taking time. Gazing takes time. Reflection takes time. So when we gather together, okay, our worship services are not 15, 20 minutes, we do our thing and we're done. 
we go an hour, maybe hour and 15 minutes. We want to take time to experience together the goodness, the generosity, the grace, something of the beauty of the Lord that takes time. Spiritual formation takes time. Brothers and sisters, you and I will not be spiritually formed unless, again, noting a couple weeks ago, remember we talked about Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. It takes intentionality and it takes time. It takes an intentional carving out of time to begin to experience some of the beauty, the beauty of the Lord and an understanding of the grace, generosity, and love. Because if we don't do that, what happens is that we will we will find beauty elsewhere. If we're not satisfied with God, we will be satisfied with something else. What the preacher and, and uh, theologian John Piper says, he, he calls them counterfeit gods. We've heard that term before. And he, he speaks about counterfeit gods as the scent of a flower that we have not yet found. You know what he means by that? Kids, look at this. We have flowers here. I was hoping to get a rose. I didn't quite get around to it. But you look at the flowers and pretend, well, go beyond these flowers. Pretend that I have a rose in my hand. You ever really, you ever really examine closely a rose? A rose is beautiful to the eye. The rose is beautiful to the nose. There's a beautiful scent to it. The rose is beautiful to touch. There's a, there's a, a soft, supple feel like a baby's skin. You put, that, you put that rose up there and you're captivated. If you close your eyes, you're captivated by the scent of the flower. You know? But Piper says that, that if we're not captivated by this flower, God has built into us a desire for beauty and we will seek beauty elsewhere. And where do we go? We'll go somewhere in the world for that. And once we start pursuing other things in this world, in the creation, apart from the creator, then what happens is the scent to us is initially quite nice, but very quickly it turns putrid, it turns smelly, and it turns us away from the Lord. David's desire is to find the true scent of God's beauty in God himself. Not in the world, but in God himself. So he says, one thing, that's all I want right now, Lord, in the ugliness of life. I just want to, to experience some, some of your beauty. But I want you to notice very interestingly that, that as, as we get a little more specifically in, 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 in terms of the beauty of the Lord, um, God, God is not only beautiful in his, his various qualities, and God has a number of qualities, Loveliness, his grace, mercy, self-sacrificial love and commitment in Christ, his glory. God is beautiful in what we call his attributes or his qualities, characteristics. God is also... He's also beautiful in not only how he exercises that mercy and his love in, in, in our lives. So he's, he's beautiful in his qualities, in what he does, but also, I want you to think about this, God is simply beautiful in terms of who he is in his essence. 
The best way to, to describe this is not by way of some propositional statements of truth about God, but by, by some experiences. When I was in, uh, serving in Washington State, probably, about, probably around 20 to 25 years now ago, there was, a, there was a woman in our congregation whose mother was struggling with colon cancer. And it was, it was, if you know anything about colon cancer, that, that can be a painful form of cancer. And it was painful for her toward the end. But before she died, and she was, she was, a, she was a Christian, and before she died, and, and this woman in our church shared this experience of her mother. She said, she said, I seek Jesus. And she said, he is so beautiful. He's so beautiful. There was a man named J. Gresham Machen who was a stalwart defender of the Christian faith. When he was only 54 years old, he died in Bismarck, North Dakota of pneumonia. Before he died, he said to a man named Sam Allison next to him, he said, Sam, I have received a, a vision of heaven. He says, it was glorious. It was glorious. Maybe you know of people, maybe you have stories yourself of those who are near to you who, who have experienced some of that dying grace. God doesn't give that to everyone, but sometimes he does to, to some people. And they experience some of the, of the beauties of heaven, some of the glories of heaven be before my, my dad died of lung cancer, he was laying in hospice, and I wasn't there at the time, but my brother was. And he said, yeah, he said, you should have been there, Philip, because dad was just lying there, and, he, and he, just, he just went like this. What did he see? What did he see? Probably something really beautiful and glorious. Should we be surprised when David himself says, it's my desire to experience the noam of God, the beauty of God? But here's the thing, you don't, you don't have to die to experience the beauty of the Lord. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to die and go to heaven to experience some of the beauty of God. You can you experience that beauty now. By, 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 by absorbing yourself in the scriptures and by meditating among the people of God and, and, and praying that God would, would flow his, his grace and his mercy to you and help you see some of his, of his, of his beauty and maybe you're here this morning and you say, I don't know, I haven't really, I've either haven't really thought about it or I haven't really experienced some of the attraction or the beauty of God because the, the Christian faith was something to me, at least this is the way I was raised, I understood something of the sovereignty of God, the, what we call the transcendence of God, that God's far above us. I understood something of the mercy and the grace of God and the justice of God. But I can't say I really have encountered the beauty of God or maybe the Christian faith is just a set series of doctrinal statements to you or procedures or rules to follow and that makes you a good person and that makes you a good member of the church. And, and if this is all your, I mean, rules and procedures are important, doctrines are important, but if that's all your faith has been to you, that's a pitiable thing, my brothers and sisters. And it's time for change. It's time to experience some some of the, of, the, of the beauty of God. And that's not, not to come, but now, but now. So God calls us in this place of worship to gaze upon his beauty, to reflect on him, to meditate on him. And it's so important that we do that for two major reasons. One, because it pleases God. 
He wants us to find him attractive. He wants us to find him beautiful. Because that which is beautiful to us and that which is attractive to us draws our heart to him. And with our minds wants to explore more deeply who he is. So it not only pleases God, but it brings pleasure to us. There's great joy in finding God beautiful and attractive. But also this, and I want to end with this. Seeking something of the beauty of God now and experiencing by grace some of his beauty now creates in us actually a yearning to experience the most perfect blessedness and beauty of God in the life to come. The more we taste of God now, it creates a foretaste of an even greater taste to come in what theologians call the beatific vision or the beautiful vision of God. When upon entering into glory and we are no longer struggling with any sins and shortcomings and weaknesses in our lives, we get to see, as Revelation, the last chapter of Revelation puts it, we get to see the Lord. We get to see Jesus face to face as as we get to peer into his very essence. And what beauty that will be. Remember the woman who said, oh, he's, I see him, he's, he's, he's beautiful. And that was before she died. Then she enters into glory, and then she sees him as to his very essence and gets to experience the beauty of the Lord that way. I mean, you can't imagine it. But how do we experience that beauty of the Lord now and especially in its fullness to come? And all I can tell you is it's by knowing Christ, by my truly knowing him. What does that mean? I think the Apostle Paul tells us that in the book of Philippians. He says this. He says, it is, it is well, he says a number of things leading up to the phrase, but basically saying, my most ardent desire is that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Now notice, he didn't say that I may know something about Jesus, that I may know something about him. He says, I, I, want, to know, I want to know him in his person. I want to know him intimately. I want to know him experientially. I want to know him personally and truly as he is. Oh, the person of Jesus. That's what I want to know. I was, I was um, having a bit of... Uh, Joy and I oftentimes talk in the car, and I said, you know, it's kind of interesting. And I found myself experiencing this back in Phoenix, and in, some, in conversations with a number of you as well. I, I thought to myself, I've had a lot of conversations, and you know, a lot of our conversations have kind of revolved around church. Churches we came from, and then we talk about pathway, and we talk about aspirations for church, and we talk about Oh, certain doctrines that we share with others and certain doctrines that we don't. And again, there's a time and a place for that. I want us to challenge each other in terms of Jesus. I want us to start talking more and more, and I include myself in this, right? Together, we talk about, talk about the things of the Lord. Sometimes it's let church go aside. It's important as church is. And as, as, as intimate as the Bible connects Jesus to his bride, the church, let go of the church a little bit, let go of history a bit, let go of pathway even a little bit, and start openly talking about the things of the Lord and the beauty of the Lord and the work of the Lord in our lives. To draw our hearts to the centrality 
of Christ so that in knowing him, we might grow in greater aspiration, not only to know him in this life, but to know him perfectly and especially in his beauty in the life to come. I want to draw to a close now by offering a quote from uh, a man named R.C. Sproul that many of us are familiar with. He's a great Christian teacher. He comes from Reformed Persuasion. He writes about the beatific vision. And he writes this. He says, in the beatific vision, the soul finally reaches the goal of its supreme quest. At last, we enter into that haven where we find our peace and rest. The end of restlessness now is reached. The warfare between flesh and spirit that we experience in this life, it's now gone. It ends. Peace that transcends anything in this world fills the heart. We reach the heights of excellency and sweetness only dreamed of in this mortal flesh. We will see him, as the Bible says in 1 John, we will see him as he is. One taste of this joy will erase all painful memories and heal each dreadful wound incurred in this veil of tears. No scar will remain. The pilgrim's progress will be complete. The body of death and the burden of sin will vaporize the moment we behold his face. Do you yearn to see the face of Jesus one day? May the Lord give us a taste of his face and his beauty already now. By who he is in his person, by what he does, in all his beautiful qualities that he manifests to us. And may he create in us that, that yearning to one day behold him face to face and peer into his beautiful essence. There's, there's nothing but gospel there, nothing but, but good news. And if you find yourself struggling here this morning with even wanting that, then all I can encourage you to do is repent, pray. Jesus says, you don't have because you don't ask. Ask me. Ask me. So that your joy may be made full. Because when we, when we pray to God that we may know him better and some of his beauty, I tell you what, God loves to answer that kind of prayer. Because it's a prayer that comes to him with true motives. May that be all our prayer. Let's pray together. Let's pray for that now. Heavenly Father, God, we do pray for that. That, that we... If we know already some of your beauty, that you would increase that experience in our lives. God, help us to know you as you, who, who you really are in your transcendence, in your holiness, in your justice, at times even in your judgment. But, oh God, help us to also see the other side of the coin, too. Your, as David says, your, your noam, your pleasantness, your, your beauty, your loveliness. Help us to see you as something attractive, someone who is attractive. And Father, if we are here this morning and we have never tasted that, Lord, collectively, we pray here, if we are that one person, we pray for that. We pray that you would open the heart if we are, if we are hard or we are dull. And God, we pray that you open up our heart wide and that you may pour in your grace and your generosity and your beauty into our lives so that in finding you attractive, we might seek all the more to know you more deeply and to live more believingly and more obediently. Coram Deo in your presence. We pray that all in Jesus' name and let all God's people say, amen. All right.